Okay, here we are again for our fourth episode uh, of Developing Communities with Mackenzie Jackson. How are you doing, Mackenzie? Ah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a busy time, end of uh, coming into July, but uh, do you know what? I quite enjoy these podcasts. It gives me a, a, an excuse to just kind of sit and have a chat for an hour. So you know, <laughs> just don't tell anyone else. I, yeah, I hope my, my management is not listening to this, but I absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am Alex myself from PonyCode, and today we're going to talk about dev, uh, developer relationship and uh, and uh, what it means uh, and uh, the obstacles and challenges we've seen recently. Also about some new stuff, I believe. Uh, but maybe yeah, you want to yeah. get into the the first topic. Well, something happened uh, today. That I just thought I'll I'll touch on because I kind of I I've asked a few people about this and it brings up some interesting questions and that is that uh, uh, you know one of the great things about the developer advocacy role is that you can be uh, you know you're not really exposed to the competitors that you have as a company you're more interested in the developers but I was listening to a presentation from a competitor and then I noticed that. Uh, they actually used uh, a bunch of illustrations and comics. So I do hand-drawn comics and illustrations for some of the blog posts. And I noticed that uh, they had uh, not only used them, but uh, removed all the watermarks from the illustrations mm. and put it in their presentation. So I just thought, uh, this is an interesting topic because uh, part of being a developer advocate is that you kind of want to work with your competitors in the same space. You're trying to build awareness to the uh, same topic. In my case, with GitGuardian, uh, secret detection, security, and code, um, you know, your competitors can be an asset to you. But then how do you deal with something like this? Is it, uh, you know, because the, the knee-jerk reaction is uh, to try and name and shame them. Uh, do you publicly write it? Do you do a, a re takedown request? Uh, you know, these are kind of like the nuclear options where you can't really work with them. Was it an intern, you know, like making this de deck, <laughs> all these different things. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, Alex, as a, uh, as a as a marketing hacker and growth hacker, you know, what, what, what would, what, what I've, do you I've, think I've, of I've this? I've definitely faced that. Yeah, I've, de I've definitely faced these kind of situations. Um, not so much on content, but uh, maybe on product. Uh, and uh, I feel like, of course, uh, you don't want things to es escalate uh, because it's counterproductive. It's it's gonna it can become time consuming and and involve too many people. But definitely, you you, you should go and and reach out to them. And because, as you said, it could be a rookie mistake or uh, or something in that tone. I also think that when you create something, you have to admit, uh, especially in the digital world, that once it's out there, it's not yours anymore. Uh, but the, mm. the thing is that the way you deliver it, the story you tell is unique uh, and that can't be sto uh, stolen from you. And actually, I'm surprised that you face this situation because developer relationships are about humans. You know, it's not just what they say. It's who say it uh, and how they say it. And, and so everything you create feels so particular, especially, especially you, Mackenzie. Like I, follow, I follow what you do on social media for GitGuardian. I, I follow your work uh, as an advocate, and it's so personal. Um, the same way we talked with uh, Rain uh, last, uh, last week, and they, their content was so personal as well. It was Rain's and nobody else, and it has their DNA onto it, you know? Um, so I guess mm -hmm. even though there is a bit and small pieces of your work that could get stolen, and if it's not by a direct competitor, it could be, you know, from, you know, people on, on the other side of the world, from a different industry or for, for a different type of product or service, it still doesn't steal 99% of what you do as a developer relationship, which is put yourself out there as an advocate and, um, deliver content in a unique way that can only be and in a unique place at a unique time and, and that can't be uh, stolen from you so I, I wouldn't be too worried but definitely annoying and frustrating for sure especially if you put some time into it yeah and it's certainly not that they're using the content in fact you know the first reaction when I saw it was like uh, a little bit of pride you know like oh fantastic mm -hmm. I'm creating something that resonates 
with the audience and other people think so too it's validation but then when you see that the watermarks have been removed and it's kind of like okay so now they've edited it to try and actively hide that it's not theirs and this is the part where i find okay i have a i have a problem with it but i think that the biggest takeaway from this problem is that hey i would rather be the one that's uh uh creating the unique content uh than the one that's just copying it so i i you know i Mm. think that uh it's but i certainly uh after talking to people, you know, I, I don't think that the nuclear option uh, is worth. It's, it's kind of working. Um, and I find that, uh, you know, it even could be counter, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a lot of uh, the work that I love and that I'd like to contribute to is open source. So it's kind of like, should I even care or should I have a more open source spirit about kind of mm, yeah, right. sharing this? You know, He's... maybe, hey, did... Could they have improved it? Could they have added something to it? Uh, mm, interesting. Uh, Definitely. Sometimes you wonder, like, because even I still have a resistance to that, you know, to open source because you put so much of yourself creating content. Then when you have to share it to everyone uh, and be used by everyone, it's always like a, a moment of uncertainty. And, it's, and, and I try to get outside of that. But what's interesting is like, if you feel frustrated that they took the, the content and removed the watermarks, then I think there is definitely value there to start a conversation and could be a conversation with your community, a conversation with your users. But 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 because there is a, a remarkable situation that doesn't happen every day and that says something significant about your maybe your industry or the developer relationship work, maybe there is something to, to be done there and turn this... Uh, events into something positive and valuable for you and uh, and for Git Guardian. Okay, so I won't uh, I won't do the angry tweet then. <laughs> no, no, don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I kind of likened it to someone today who um, having this discussion of open source is that you know what I feel like it I feel like I, I've made a contribution to uh, you know I created a a repository and then someone. Uh, cloned it, uploaded it, and didn't put any credits and removed all of the contributions from the other developers from it so that there is one commit oh, starting everything. Come on. <laughs> That's over the line. Okay, maybe one angry tweet because this is over the line though. Especially the developer community, uh, like there is a sense of solidarity and, and I'm surprised to still see this kind of behavior, but I guess. Uh, we can only promote yeah. best practice. No, I think you agree, and uh, I think this. Uh, I, th- I think <laughs> I think it's time to move on from this and just uh, uh, <laughs> leave it as a with and take it as a compliment. But I still find yeah. interesting discussion around people that are creating content. You know, what do you do when people copy it, uh, and uh, uh, what's the best way to to approach it? Okay. I, I honestly, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to react on this. I, I mean, I I see we are. I'm my company is doing innovation. Yours as well. So, even though you have competition or people around trying to solve the same issue uh, in sometimes ways that are very similar to our company, sometimes different ways. I feel like we always have a unique approach, and so I wouldn't feel frustrated that my content gets stolen by a competitor and i think there is a lot of stuff being passed on between uh, companies uh, in the code quality field uh, because we reuse the same data trying to make a compelling story about uh, and educate the developer community about why code quality matters and so when i see a figure from a survey that i've done used by another company for me the end goal is the same uh, first, the developing world, the software industry is growing uh, so quick. Uh, there is space for everyone. And so as long as we commonly educate our audience into the stakes behind code quality for me, code security for you, well, I, I'm not too scared of my content being stolen at this point. Maybe in the future when it's a saturated industry, then it will get com- more complicated or more frustrating. No, I think I think you've nailed it uh, there. I think that you know part of the reaction is my own vanity, needing credit for something, 
you know, but uh, if they're using it, I created it to educate uh, developers. They're using it for that purpose. A bit slimy. They removed the watermarks, but uh, yeah. I think the way to look at it is how you approach it is that uh, uh, that as a developer advocate, it's, it's, it's my role to educate uh, developers and that can be in, in many ways and through other people. So... I don't. I don't want to sound like too too nice, though. I have vanity as well, and uh, <laughs> don't steal my content and remove my watermark because I will get angry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, <laughs> to a less personal topic, so, so I won't get too mad at you now. Uh, but uh, you know, one of the aspects about uh, uh, advocacy is, as someone new to the industry will find out, or certainly people have been in, t- in it uh, know. Is that a lot of it is creating code examples and code samples, particularly when we're creating technical documentation, um, you know, for the products. What we're doing is for developers, and we can explain something. But the best way to do it is to have uh, example codes that work. Uh, but it's and this is going to be interesting talking to you, Alex, because you come from a code quality uh, point of view. So uh, you know, a lot of this, you know, having good quality examples, really. Uh, fits in you know but I, let, let me just start by you know uh saying that the, the pet peeve that i have when i look at uh, an example uh code that is written is the is, you know the hello world example it's kind of like you want to show you want to show how uh, a technology works and you do it with a completely useful useless example you know the hello world example what like one of the things that i i think is trying to create a, a code example that actually does something in someone's application. So even if it's not the perfect example, creating a crappy hello world one, it, 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 to me, it's the number it happens. I see it often and it just takes you out of that experience of trying to understand what something does, does because you feel immediately when you see hello world, like you're back at being a basic uh, developer. You know, you're back at square one and, um, you know, my God, how, how do you feel about the kind of, uh, you know, code examples like, like this? Uh, you know, what do you see at Ponycode? Uh, the bad news is that I don't have a definitive answer. The good news is like I can definitely relate to this topic because we, my team and I have been falling into this pit a little bit. Uh, and as we are trying to, well, our product is gaining maturity and so the way we present it as well and we realized that we definitely did that on year zero we were like so focused on to uh, doing an mvp and getting you know a first product out there and starting to 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 interact with the the community about it and so we presented examples who which were hello world uh, hello world examples Uh, and uh, also because i think we run into many uh, young users um, students or people in their first job with a li- less uh, little knowledge, if I may say so. Um, and so we mm. we felt like we needed to do hello world examples to to make sure that everybody from the most senior to the most junior understood our message. And as we went further down the line, we realized like okay, no, because first it doesn't people can't relate. They don't they don't see that your product or your explanation fits a real world and a real situation and maybe trying to find a, maybe a more specific, a more uh, realistic and uh, but also a more complex example really is a sweet spot for to get users to really think, okay, wow, I, I actually am not, I don't know what product, what your product is doing. I don't know what you're trying to tell me, but I even need to do a intellectual effort into understanding the context and the, the, the this situation and when we do that i think I kind of the software engineers love it because they, they're not here to to be you know uh, how do you say um, taken as a, a child like they're here to be challenged and to, to mm. grow and to learn and uh, if you put something at uh, at their level or above they're feeling like, okay, I'm here, I'm being challenged, I want to understand this, I want to decrypt, and I want to make sure that the value uh, is out there for me. Does this make sense? Absolutely. I love how you said that 
Yeah, no, it makes total sense. As I say, I love, I love this about you. Is that you you start off and say, "Look, I'm not really sure," and then go into like a five minute detailed explanation of <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, <laughs> one of the one of the other aspects that I, I see in code examples a lot is that um, as architecture has become more distributed, you know, certainly when you're working with uh, you know, complex products, SaaS tools that re require multiple components, they can be built on complex environments. So, you know, moving away from the hello world example, we have the opposite, which is uh, something that has dependencies that uh, requires different cloud accounts and you have this uh, sample code. If you have sample code, one of the things is like as best as, pro as, as much as possible, you know, if you can make it so that it just works when they copy and paste it and they can just get something happening, you know, that's of such value. And if not, at least really detail, you know, detail, uh, explain in detail my English today. <laughs> I've got no excuse. You're... Can't be worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, explain the necessary environment to set it up in great detail uh, at each point. And don't assume that if you put it at the top of the page and then uh, expect them to even uh, <laughs> review it, if you look at how, P how developers read documentation, there's a great tool called Crazy Egg. And uh, essentially what it does is it creates a video of people. It's kind of creepy, I will admit, but a video of people reading your page where they stop. It gives you like a heat map. And what you'll notice is that no one starts at chapter one and goes to chapter 10. They like zoom up and down. They kind of look at example in it. If they try to do something quickly, often they'll just copy the code example while it's just kind of skimming titles. And uh, if you want to avoid uh, comments on the, on the documentation or emails that the code example is not working, then try and create something that works directly from being copied. Even if you're using borrowed uh, environments or, or temporary sandbox environments, um, to make that necessary so that they can just see something working. And at every point where there's a copy one, a, a copy, uh, kind of a copy box, you know, explain the environment around, around that. Have you, have you ran into any troubles of this and the documentation of, of pony code or connecting into different things? Definitely troubles. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And as you said, like we're a good quality company, so it's uh, well, of the utmost, utmost importance to, to lead the way. Uh, and I feel like we haven't pinpointed, and I would say even more than that coming from, well, not coming from a software engineering background, I was surprised that documentation and examples within documentation is so much at the heart of your uh, product solution usage and uh, your well relationship with the, the developer community and the user community. And yet is a topic that nobody has really pinpointed. I see great solutions. Uh, you, you actually, you, I'm trying to remember last week, you pointed me out to a, a documentation online and I was like obsessed. I was like, I want this for my company. How can we, can we get it done? It was very comprehensive. <laughs> there are uh, amazing innovation out there. There are more and more like better ways to share example and, and, and to onboard your users in a, in a very efficient way and satisfying way. Uh, but, but we haven't figured it out. Uh, and, and I'm kind of like, I think this is one of the 2021 challenge for us. Yeah, there's, I think there's steps along the, uh, along the way. I mean, uh, there's certainly huge improvements that, uh, that we can make, uh, at guardian ourselves too. One of the, uh, and, and I think the goal the company, I think you're referring to is auth, auth zero is my yes, favorite yes, example of documentation. I, I'm obsessed with them. Uh, uh, it reminds me of how much of a geek I am when I'm like, oh, you got to see this documentation. It's so good. <laughs> but why is their documentation so good? I don't know so if good? listeners think well, that we have a... Sorry. I don't know if listeners think we have an amazing life, but our offline conversation are basically this. It's like, look at this amazing documentation. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. Please go, go forward. No, no problem. No problem. Um, but the reason, as I was saying, so why is uh, Office Zero documentation so good? And it's because of what I mentioned before. Everything works in the documentation. And the reason it does is that if you're logged in, it replaces the environment with, you know, 
your setup. It puts in your uh, credentials if necessary. It customizes the examples to suit you, um, the languages that you're building in. I mean, it's just so uh, it's so fantastic that it just works. The worst part is that I don't know if people would even appreciate it if, or just kind of like, you know, it, it's kind of like they build something so seamless that people don't even need to think about it. So they don't think about the, the time that's created to do that. Yes. Um, so seamless, but the complexity of the structure, I wonder how much time they they took to to get the, to this point. Yeah. And and do you know what is I think writing documentation maybe someone can uh, if someone can think of something uh, tweet me at, at advocate mac uh, my Twitter is back by the way it was temporarily gone yeah <laughs> but uh, you know I've struggled to find good tools to write documentation with and you know I think if you created a, a fantastic product that enabled dynamic documentation somehow I mean I feel like this is a very complex uh, solution to build but you know, uh, to be able to plug something in, something that creates beautiful documentation easily that uh, uh, doesn't, isn't so clunky. I think everything I've used, uh, you know, I feel is clunky. It feels like someone's rebuilt something else to fit documentation. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't. But there is a step before dynamic documentation, you know, if if this is too much. And that is, you know, code generators are fantastic. and, and what you can do is uh, if you have uh, example codes that require different environment factors into it, then instead of just kind of like re- repeatedly blasting that, okay, don't forget to set up this and don't forget that you need, uh, you know, the, the cloud server to be set up and your ABI key here in an environment variable, uh, you know, have code inputs where you can prompt the users for those. It generates the code to the specifications and it makes it nicer. It, and one of the things I love about a good code generator that uses your own uh, your own uh, information is it intuitively explains how your code works by getting them to do something. So just mm-hmm. by getting them to put their API in, you see where it is in the code, and now you can actually start quickly to understand how that code works. Um, mm. Yeah, no, uh, th- there is so many... The documentation pain point is, I saw a few startups trying to tackle it, and I feel some of them are focusing too much on the front side and, and how it's good for developers and users, and a few focus too much on the back end, which is like uh, how to set it up and you know making it easy for an enterprise, a new solution to, to have a documentation available. And when it comes to code generators, I... For us, it's a new it's a new stream that we want to explore because we had this we are a code a coding tool and to show the value uh, of our solution easily, we started to make playgrounds uh, basically like uh, same the same display as a Google Translator like you put your code on the left and we generate code on the right uh, so you can see the value of your of our solution for you code and this kind of opened a new stream for us about documentation like. In, instead wow. of writing paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, could we imagine, uh, you know, this kind of interactive space where the developer who's looking for documentation can put his code as an input to generate documentation fits to to cater to his needs? I don't know. I, I, wow, yeah. you know, maybe there is something there. That I mean, I want that tool so bad. Because uh, you know, so often, uh, you know, when I have to write documentation in on a subject or a language that I'm not, you know, super familiar with, I understand the product very well, I understand the use case well, but hey, maybe I am not the most perfect Python developer, you know, or like, you know, I like Go, but <laughs> you know, there's often there's much more eloquent ways of uh, you know writing stuff than what I do, so it has to go back through to the engineers that's proficient in that. But I could just imagine having like a translator that's basically just fix my code. Ah, yes. <laughs> that's, uh, uh, I, I, I really want you guys to build the power this. power of AI. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. I, I don't know if well, it's Well, I mean, BS, you guys uh, are working on... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are working on such uh, fantastic solutions for code quality because... 
um, you know, it you, it almost can act as a prompt for your for yourself and to enforce the you know best practices for that this this continual loop of going around of seeing how uh, code is it's, it's like having your own personal uh, <laughs> documentation that's dynamic fixing your own code yeah that's true uh, that's true and and actually these days I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, writing uh, to talk about uh, quality code. And the, the, well, the base picture is known by all software engineers. It's like healthy code is uh, uh, like made of functions which are one purpose, efficient, secured, uh, tested, and documented. And uh, we're like, okay, well, Podic has a, has a lot of ambition, but we started with our first tool uh, released a year ago was unit test. But by uh, making the promotion of like quality code, we're making the promotion of basically every startup out there trying to solve the documentation or the testing or the safety issues. So, so uh, even though we, we have a lot of uh, stuff on the on the code generators and, and tr translation, uh, I'm still doing advertisement for you at the end of the day, Mackenzie. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh... yeah, well, it's, it's, it's super cool. And do you know what I love uh, about the solution is that uh, uh, you didn't you didn't take the the approach that I did with my startup is like, okay, we're going to build a PowerPoint and our PowerPoint is going to claim that we can do everything. <laughs> you know? uh, so you know, instead it's starting with, okay, what's an actual problem that we can solve in a real way and uh, code quality. But I want to tell you my yeah, last it, pet peeve. My, I have one more. I have one more pet peeve that I, I want to say when we're getting back to, uh, to documentation. And this is one that... Uh, uh, I've made myself, uh, and uh, I found out the hard way through negative feedback that this is the worst thing to do. When you're writing uh, uh, code examples, the design of you know the the code box or the copy box is does not matter as long as the code is good and it works. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have well structured things, but and what I mean by this is that I used a tool that turned. Um, it made beautiful looking code on a great looking, you know, terminal style uh, page and spat it out as an image. This is the worst thing that you could ever do to piss off developers is give them a code example that is a PNG <laughs> that they cannot copy <laughs> whatsoever. If you want to get terrible feedback of your documentation, this is the number one way to do it. And I mean, it sounds obvious, but, you know, it looked beautiful on the page and you'd scroll down it before realizing that it's a PNG and go, you know, like, oh, wow, great. You know, and then <laughs> the frustration of trying to copy this. <laughs> so I've definitely made this mistake as well. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about, do you have a, like a checklist now uh, when you make a new example, like things to follow to make sure that your example is, is doing its purpose? Yeah, well, I mean, it, I think it, the, the checklist is, depends on what you're writing for. But I mean, uh, you, there should be a couple of things that you should strive for. One is that uh, code should be copyable and it should be for a real life example. It doesn't mean that it has to be for everyone's real life example, but give an actual example. Don't try and create a code example that solves everyone's question and therefore solves no one's question. Right? Just pick a specific example of trying to do something. Um, because even if it's not the, what they're trying to do, by having that context, it makes a code more readable rather than this kind of hello world, do nothing and do everything uh, style. Um, code should work if you can make it work. You know, you'd be using uh, sandbag environments, if, it, if you've got dependencies and other and other things you know if you can make it so it just does something that it's meant to directly from the copy without anyone having to do anything uh you know this is fantastic and if you have the ability which i mean like i mean to do code generators or di dynamic code and this is you know this is really if the organization really wants to invest heavily in documentation because these aren't trivial tasks to do you know, mm -hmm. then that is the most amazing solution to have is that you can copy something, place it into your product, your application, and it works the way that you intend it to. You know, um, obviously, the, the idea is not to just give them code to copy because it's going to be unique. But if it can just 
do something, spit out a result that they're expecting. Well, then like you're 10 times ahead. You've just saved the developers so much more time. And I'll tell you what, if I if there's two identical products and as a developer and one has great documentation that works that I can copy over that's dynamic, man, I'm, I don't care if the other company is more expensive. You know, it saves so much time. And that's an easy argument for a, for a developer to make to, um, to, to, to an organization and say that, look, by choosing this tool, that's 20% more expensive. I'm saving, uh, you know, hours of development time every time I have a problem. Well, you know, it's a no brainer, you know, but in saying that it's not always possible. Sometimes uh, the code examples are too complex. It's a small snippet, you know, then uh, just make sure that in an isolated area on the page that it makes sense and that just never expect someone to read from top to bottom of your documentation and understand everything that you've said a thousand words ago. You know, it needs, you, it's this not how, uh, it's just not how developers use documentation. They jump around a lot, mm -hmm. they skip, skip things and they want to get to the answer. You, you make it sound very, very obvious uh, because it is, but uh, well, there is the doability side of things uh, you were mentioning. I think behind that, it's also interesting that I've met a few developers and devrels out there and, you know, all companies don't have the, the space to respect this best practice. And that's why we're still out there like trying to to enforce them or not enforce, but uh, the advertise for Uh, for those because uh, companies uh, like sometimes your team don't have time to do the documentation right uh, people are, sometimes are lazy I'm sorry uh, it happens all the time we see it with, with code quality as well uh, sometimes your management just don't give you that space because they don't value the, the, the impact of documentation and like there is so many reasons why people are not doing the best practice you were mentioning and I think there is advocacy to do uh, there as well probably from DevRels to their management, to their companies, to non-tech people uh, about the impact and the, and the, and the, the importance of uh, following best practice when it comes to, uh, to documentation and uh, to, to do the extra mile to build amazing examples or, or simply, you know, efficient examples. Yeah. And you know what? And documentation is often a hidden thing. It's, It's not some. It's often not something that the decision makers uh, in deciding to purchase a solution, you know, an enterprise solution, will really go into detail of the documentation with with the lens of like, how is this going to be for my developers? Because if the product does what it's meant to do, and it's good and it's uh, you know efficient in price, then uh, okay, the documentation is a bit shit, but you know our developers will figure it out. But I think it is an education process of, of everyone understanding how important uh, good quality documentation is for developers to not only effectively do their job, but to have a good experience with your product. And uh, mm. for, for us, it was easy to prove. I, I am curious to hear, maybe you know this information on your end, Our the second most visited part uh, of our website after the homepage is documentation, which means most of the developers finding out about Ponycode is directly checking the documentation to understand uh, what we do and why we do it before even using the tool. And, and so it, it just makes it obvious the attention we need to put on, on documentation. Do you have the, the same kind of dynamic uh, on your end? Uh, not quite. So, uh, the reason, the reason why is that there's kind of two aspects to Git Guardian. Now, one is that, uh, if you're a developer with, uh, with a repository, you can plug that in as a GitHub app in a few couple of clicks, and then you have this nice dashboard and, you know, and that's it. You don't need to install any code for that. And then we have this other side, which is our open source products. Um, so the, the kind of dashboard side that monitors, that monitors your repositories for secrets, but it does it in a, on the server side, which means that like, it will only find secrets that are already basically compromised. So obviously, mm. the better option of that, that that's, ne that's necessary because you want to know if something's compromised. The best, you know, the best practice, the best uh, use case is that, okay, the secrets don't get to the Git repository in the first place. And we have open source tools to do this because it's the responsibility of the developer on the machine itself to install a pre-commit hook to check that. It's very hard to enforce on an organization 
and you could bypass it. So it's really the individual's responsibility. And so, you, but this is kind of a, a smaller portion of our users that really go into this detail. And this is where the kind of documentation uh, really kind of comes into it. Um, that and if you want to kind of do something unique. So, I mean, it's a little bit different for us because a lot of it's a, a plug and play, but it, it makes total sense to me that the docs for your company would be the, you know, the second most visited part because you can learn so much about the, the product from the documentation if you're coming up with an engineering mindset. It's almost like a blog post, uh, you know, like explaining exactly what the, what, what happens. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can totally see it. I think it just depends on, on, on the solution. But it, regardless, it documentation should be a, a huge portion or you will lose the technical uh, audience. For sure. Okay, all right. That was super interesting. I, I, I see that time flies and uh, there was another topic uh, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, may I? Let's do it. Let's do it. I actually, uh, it's going to be a little story and then I have a few questions <laughs> I think uh, people will be interested about. It's just that I, I was remembering like, you know, five years or even 10 years ago, what GitGuardian does didn't exist, what we do didn't exist. Uh, and so, and, and the, the, how critical code quality and code security was not as uh, visible uh, in the public space as it is now. And, and I am personally a news junkie, uh, so I read a lot of news. Uh, and the past few weeks have been, or 2021 in general, has been filled with, uh, with news about like, uh, last week it was Angela Merkel who was talking about like how Germany needs to ramp up uh, its uh, code quality effort to make sure that they can keep up with uh, the, the software factories in the States or in Asia. Um, and we also saw like cyber attacks uh, happening in the States. It was like a meatpacking plant after a gas pipeline a few, uh, a few weeks ago. I think the fact that it's not just like big startups or uh, big startups, sorry, big uh, software companies or, uh, or the banking industry. Uh, but now every uh, single industry is uh, under attack. Uh, and so the necessity to ramp up code quality and code security is critical. Uh, and so it's not only in the hands of Fortune 500 companies. It's not a topic only known and, and managed by expert niche experts uh, in, the, in their field. Uh, now everybody is starting to be interested into it. Stakeholders like non-tech people, young developers. I feel like everybody is now starting to be concerned uh, and have awareness that they should know about uh, code quality and code security. And, 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 and so this brings more diversity into the discussions. And, and in the code quality, it was before it was only DevOps, you know, topic, DevOps experts and TDD experts were talking about code quality and nobody else. Um, right now, I see junior developers coming to me. I see city CEOs who don't have any technical backgrounds coming to us and to ask about like, what's up? It's not only advanced seniors. And so this kind of led me about thinking about how this impacts your role as a developer relationship. Uh, definitely around me, I see people who don't only build content documentation and participate to conference for people who already know and master the topic. They now have to educate and bring awareness. Uh, and so I, I was wondering if you get that, uh, that thing. I feel like uh, probably a, a cut security and, and vulnerabilities or leaked uh, information in the code is uh, something that now uh, everybody is, is kind of aware about. Now everybody is kind of aware about this is a big word, but like you definitely have a growing interest from different yeah. persona. Uh, does that mean that you talk to everybody now that you're trying to do education awareness as well as like talking to the people who already know and mastered the topic or, or you haven't observed that ripple effect yet? Yeah, really interesting stuff. There's a lot to kind of unpack in that because now you're, you're, let's unpack like kind of the first thing that, okay, so it's not uh, big companies that are software companies that have to deal with security. That's so true. Uh, every company is a software company today. You know, every large company has uh, a software component. Uh, at GitGuardian, we're in uh, discussing uh, terms with an adhesive company. 
you know, hopefully I can say that. I think there's enough adhesive companies that, that <laughs> it's not too obvious, but, <laughs> you know, but uh, and I'm, I, you know, heard about this. And I was like, what, you know, like, why doesn't an adhesive company want uh, a product? And it's because they have a lot of, you know, a lot of internal operations talking about the, the gas pipelines and stuff, attackers can distrib- disrupt these companies in, in multiple ways. And uh, they have developers working for them on internal systems, internal tools, and also just being relevant and needing to uh, create solutions to be competitive in the market. So this is one example, but every company is a software company. Now, okay, maybe it doesn't ex- expand to Jim's plumbing, but you know, every large, if you're looking at Fortune 500 companies, they all have software teams within them this is the state of the world everything's run off software so uh you know we can disrupt it and so that's kind of the the the, you know the first part of that is that kind of getting our head around that uh uh this this is big change you know and the second part is that uh the bad guys are very well aware of this and uh we're starting to see the possibilities do you know what's crazy and super creepy is that uh, I was uh, on a road trip coming back from the south of France, uh, back to Paris, and I was listening to just on shuffle uh, a podcast, Stuff You Should Know. And uh, they're talking about, uh, you know, uh, what would happen if uh, hackers hacked into a gas pipeline in America. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, must be new. And I realized it was from 2019, and they talked through the 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 scenario oh. of why this could happen and how and the effect and now we lived it so um you know we're aware of this and it's the the and this is going to bring about a new kind of uh, war that we're seeing with nation states uh, you know it's not just a uh, the teenagers in the hoodies and mum's basement uh, trying to take down Yahoo as it was in the early 2000s. You know, now it is sophisticated nations attack. North Korea uh, allegedly uh, pulled off the world's largest allegedly. bank. Yeah. <laughs> pulled off the world's <laughs> largest uh, bank heist. <laughs> um, I don't want to get into yeah. trouble, Mackenzie. Like, don't name countries today. <laughs> well, North Korea is fine. They don't want to worry about, are they? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so, you know, like we're seeing this massive involvement. And now let, okay, now that we've unpacked that, we can move this on to the next part of this is like, how does this affect developer relations, you know, in our roles? And I I think that it kind of uh, depends on the role that you have. Part of my role, I kind of see myself as a security advocate. So, um, you know, uh, we're expanding the team. We're eventually getting, we'll have more, uh, you know, more DevRel roles. So maybe we, maybe we can kind of focus on different areas. So, um, so part of it is, yeah, okay. I, I want to bring awareness as to how a meatpacking plant can be hacked in my case, probably specifically through leaked credentials. Um, you know, bring awareness to all the types of information and PII that can be found on GitHub in public repositories that affect companies so that, uh, you know, the executive levels so that people in just regular people that work in these uh, in these companies also understand that there is a risk and with that there is a responsibility. So I think it does affect me, you know, and I, and I that's kind of taking it from my personal perspective because I feel other developer advocates are kind of would just be like, no, it's it's this i can't be an advocate for every stakeholder right i you know mm. i'm an advocate for developers this is what i do and this is the audience that i'm really connected with and focused on and i think that that's totally acceptable and uh you know possibly even preferable uh, if if you can do that uh so I, I i think that it really depends on the role maybe it doesn't change the role of devrel but maybe it expands it so that there's uh, positions, a security advocate that's not necessarily focused on the, you know, developers, but uh, educating uh, other people. So yeah, mm. I I I can definitely echo what you say. I think the difference for us is like so we started this project Codicode, and then for the past year I've, we started to receive a lot of message from junior developers, for example, or young companies being like. I want to 
I want to improve my code quality best practice. What can you do for, for us? You know, do you have a license? Do you have solutions for young companies? And right now we're, we're, we are focused on the either of our free solution open to the whole community, either maybe a more uh, mature company, bigger company solution. And so we didn't, we couldn't cater. And yet there is a responsibility. Uh, especially developer as a developer relationship, you have a responsibility. You have spotlight. We're a young startup. We are getting you know word of mouth, uh, and some people which we can't cater to are asking us uh, for help. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, within the constraint of resources uh, we have, being a small team and a small project, how we can uh, help bringing awareness, how we can talk to everybody. Uh, so that's one thing. And the other side is um, the first people, the first stakeholders we, we talked with when we started was people who are experts in code quality uh, because they were the people actively researching for innovation and new solution. Uh, and, and those people, we, you don't have to, to explain to them that code quality matters because they already know they're, they're, they're specialized into it. They're, they're like, okay, don't take me for a rookie and go straight to the point what's the value uh, you can <laughs> provide uh, to, to, to me. And um, and so what we're trying to do now is to connect stakeholders of different levels. It's like I cannot, I don't have, we don't have the time and resources to, uh, I don't know, create a whole resource center or a whole, uh, you know, educational program for people who don't know about code quality. But we do have a, you know, we do know people who are experts. And we can connect them with people who are not. We can connect tech people with non-tech uh, and, and create discussions, but also making the most uh, the, the expert aware that they're experts in a world where they're surrounded by people who don't know uh, where to start, you know, how to start with code quality, where, what are the tools, what are the solutions, what are the practices. So to bring awareness to the experts who might spend too much time talking code quality with other code quality experts and not realize that the first step to promote their advocacy uh, and ours is to, to, to spend some time, some pro bono times uh, with non-tech people and with junior people and, and because for me, there is maybe a topic about culture is like, even though you can't actively help everyone and talk to everyone, you can diffuse a, a culture about code security or about code quality. And, uh, and that can help you to talk to everybody without sacrificing your focus on the high value developers, the people who can actually bring value to your project. It's not, it's a two way thing, you know. Uh, which really matters in early stage companies, uh, developer uh, relationship, uh, developer advocacy, I think. Yeah, you know, that's, I think that's a, a problem that a lot of, a lot of organizations and companies, uh, you know, our size uh, suffer because, you know, we're on a rapid expansion and still in a way trying to find ourselves. Like who, who are we? We had a discussion today about the tone of the blog. Okay. Because the sales team wants it to 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 cater for CISOs, you know, uh, and executives, because they want to go, they want them to go onto the blog, find an article that's written in a tone that goes straight to the point that does it. And I want to, as a developer advocate, write articles for developers, um, because that's what I do. I, you know, uh, okay, I am proficient in security to, to, you know, definitely for for my role. But can I challenge a CISO on a security topic? You know, no, I, I would I would expect not. So why try and, uh, uh, you know, this is this is kind of my argument. But this is the discussion. Who are we writing for? What is the audience? And, um, you know, what's free, what's paying? And just like Pony Code, we have a gap between free and uh, massive. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's either a Fortune 500 company or, you know, uh, a very small organization uh, at at, at, at GitGuardian. So, how can I, in my role, help to to reach reach that gap in there? I mean, really interesting stuff. And and do you know what? I think when it comes to DevRel, um, when it comes to you know finding who to talk to and what stakeholders, I think personally, you need to do one. You know, maybe two if you 
<laughs> if you're a, if you're just by yourself, you know, really well and be connected to that. It's more it's more than just writing blogs. It's more than just writing good development. You want to be uh, a pulse to the to the community, and you can't be that to every community. So mm-hmm. you know, um, and and I think that this is different for junior developers, senior developers, uh, CISOs, DevOps engineers, security engineers. I mean, you know, like. Ideally, you want to develop an advocate for everything. It's not possible, of, of course, but, um, you know, really uh, pick something. Don't exclude others, but uh, be in touch with your community. That's how I feel. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. A very wise word, a post to the community. I like that. I'm going to keep, uh, keep this one up. <laughs> and I think it opens up to another conversation. Maybe we can have this one uh, next time, which is like how you identified the the first uh, the first people you you want to talk to with uh, in the scope of being a young company not having the resources to talk to everyone like I was thinking like for us talking to code quality expert at the beginning because they were the only people who could really bring uh, valuable feedback to get our MVP a little bit more mature and get us to the next step where we can start other discussion with other people but. Yeah, it's a it's another very very long topic. I, I I like that we can finish this one on the parts of the community <laughs> and uh, maybe not every community. Damn it! Do we just come up with a better name for our podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kidding! Just kidding! Uh... It, I will I will get reimbursement on all the merchandising. <laughs> Four hundred t-shirts that we could sell on the yeah. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> all right well th- thank you very much Mackenzie um, I think yeah one thing we haven't done through this podcast and I feel even the, the previous one is the fact that everything we talked about we don't have the definitive answer and we have some elements and we're so so crazy curious to hear out what listeners know and the tools they use and the piece of answers that they got on their side so you named your uh, Twitter a little bit uh, earlier in the podcast uh, at Advocate Mac. Yes. Yes. And mine is uh, at Manuel G. Uh, so reach out uh, and uh, and we definitely want to hear out about your stories and uh, how you, you're trying to figure out those uh, same challenges. And, uh, and hopefully uh, we can keep the conversation going. Yeah. And especially when, you know, when we get something wrong, too, I, I think that this is, uh, you know, I'd love to hear challenges to what we say uh, personally. I know developers are good at that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, you know. Yeah, and really, I, I know really we good. can be good at being wrong as well. So, <laughs> for sure. All right, Alex. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for putting this podcast outline together. I certainly found it uh, interesting. And uh, if you have any suggestions for episodes or you want to be on, then uh, just reach out to us on, on Twitter. We look forward to hearing you. But until next time, this is the Developing Communities Podcast with Alex and McKenzie, and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye.